0: Welcome to the Own Your Time podcast, where we talk about ways to separate your time from your money. On this show, we're going to talk about selecting a market. So how do you select a real estate market to invest in? There's a lot of different criterias. It can be very overwhelming. But first, we're going to start with uh, the, the methodology and the, the philosophy behind it, which is to pick one market and stick to it. Uh, my reasoning for this is, have you ever heard the quote, he who chases two rabbits catches none? Well, it's very true in this sense, where if you're chasing two markets, you're actually going to probably end up not really catching either of them. So there's about a a two-month latent potential barrier where you're not really going to see any results when you're first breaking into a market because, you know, you need to build rapport with brokers, you need to build relationships in that market. So it takes about, you know, two months to really break through. And so if you're hopping back and forth between markets and and you're really just never going to break through – and a lot of people, you know, you'll start to say these things like, oh, this market sucks, that market over there looks way better. And you start thinking the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, but it's really not. The grass is greener where you water it. So, you know, that's, that's really the philosophy is stick to one market and stick to it until you break through. There's no point in, in flip-flopping because you're just going to end up being frustrated. And I did this quite a bit. So I actually started in the Jacksonville market, which... Um, I have no experience in Jacksonville. I have no idea why I really, um, looked over there and you don't necessarily need experience in the market, but you, you just like, it didn't really make sense for me to be looking at Jacksonville. I just did it because that's where people were looking at the time. And, um, and I chased that down for about, you know, six weeks and then was like, oh, that market sucks. I'm going to go chase another market. And I ended up in all these different places, Chattanooga, you know, Nashville. Um, and I ended up doing my first deal in Louisville. And then I did another deal in Atlanta. So I am the market hopping king. Trust me. And this is coming from the market hopping king. I and I I really wish that I would have just focused on one market because now I'm very focused on Austin and it's been very rewarding. I've been looking in Austin for about six months, almost a year, somewhere from six months to a year. It's in between. It's probably around ten months. And um, the results have been a lot better because I have these relationships now. And um, they're just such a higher quality of relationship than I was having in other markets, even markets where I've done a deal in. Just because um, people were almost still looking at me as an outsider, even though I was doing deals, and that's because you know you really have to be established as like almost an insider in the market. It's it's kind of like a like a secret club almost, and it does take a while to get into it. So focusing on one market is extremely important. And if I could tell myself anything going back, I would say just pick one market and stick to it. And that could have been Louisville. Um, But you just have to stick to it instead of jumping all around so highly recommend focusing on one market So the metrics what metrics should you look at the key metrics for cities? Um, I have seven key metrics here that we're gonna go through number one is population growth number two is job growth number three is median household income Number four is median house or condo value number five is the building permits number six is government planning projects and number seven is the absorption rate So I'm going to break down what numbers you should look for within these seven categories. Um, But some good places to look for these data points is citydata.com. You know, you have the Marcus and Millichap research part where they have quite a bit of different PDFs that you can download of the top cities. And they have a lot of really good um, metrics. And that's marcusmillichap.com slash research. Then you have the huduser.com or .gov portal where you can see, you know, by city and by state. And it really helps you. With some of those building permit aspects, um, so let's talk about the market phases before we get really deep into these seven categories. You have phase number one, which is recovery, and this is typically you know declining vacancy. There's not really any new construction, and you're a little bit below you know that long-term occupancy average. But as you start moving up, and you start hitting that that average occupancy, then you start moving into this phase two, which is expansion, and now you have the, the vacancy, the declining vacancy. You have some new construction coming in. Um, and that moves all the way up, all the way up until you hit this hyper supply phase three, which is where new construction's kind of at a peak. Everything's kind of at a peak in this stage and you start to kind of come down. And as you come down, you get into increasing vacancy, you're seeing you know, more people completing this new construction and you're moving towards phase four, which is a recession. And so it's kind of this cyclical thing that continues to happen. And right now we're somewhere in between phase three and phase four in most cities. It does vary city to city. So that's another thing that people don't talk about enough is that these phases and the cycle is awesome, but it's city to city. It really can vary quite a bit from city to city. So don't get too caught up. If you hear someone write a blog post about how we're, you know, in phase four, well, he may be writing from a completely different city with a completely different outlook than you. So definitely always take that into consideration. It does vary city to city. So what exact numbers to look for? So for population growth, we're going to look for 20% growth from 2019, uh, from 2000 to 2019. That's definitely uh, a good metric is you're going to want to look for about a 20% growth in population from that time period. And then for job growth, we want to be around 2% annualized. So we want a 2% annual job growth on most cities. And if you can find that, then that's ideal. If the city's larger than 1 million, like it has more than 1 million people living in it, then probably 1.5% is a little bit more accurate. But if you can be over that 2% job growth, then you're gonna be looking at a very good growing city. And the reason for these two metrics, population growth and job growth, is the more people that are moving into this place, the more demand there's gonna be for housing. And when demand goes up, then um, you know prices go up, right? Because if demand outpaces supply, then you can actually raise the prices of rent and that benefits you. So then we move into the median household income. So we want that to be growing as well because if people are being paid more, then they can afford to pay more rent and then we can, pay, we can charge more for rent. So 30% growth from 20, 2000 to 2019 and this applies to all city sizes. So you're, you're gonna be wanting to look for a 30% growth in the household income from 2000 to 2019 in that time period. Number four is the median house or condo value. So the reason for this is because if the houses are going up in value around the, the, uh, in the city, then you can see that the city is becoming more valuable. People are making enough money to you know, actually pay these prices and therefore there's an upward trend in growth and you can utilize that to know that the market is expanding and that you can get in on this expansion. So we're looking for a 40% growth from 2000 to 2019, and this applies to all city sizes as well. Number five is building permits. So where people are building and how many permits are actually being submitted. This is an important thing to know because if you can see that all the building permits are being you know, put into one location, then you can potentially get ahead of it. So for example, in my city, Austin, we have East Austin that is expanding quite a bit. And if you look at the building permits, we can see that there's actually a lot of new development over there. And if you were a really savvy investor, you could potentially place yourself in front of those developments and see the path of progress and kind of put yourself in that path of progress so that you benefit from these nice, you know, big um, developments that are happening all around your property. Number six is government planning. So is the, gov- is the government planning any big developments or improvements? Has anything major been said about future growth plans? And so let's use Austin as an example again, which is there is a new MLS stadium being built in North Austin. The domain is going to be expanded, which is right near where the MLS stadium is going to be built. And you can kind of see that the overall city has this future growth plan in this North Austin area. And um, and that's something that we can take advantage of if we understand where this is happening and and because values are going to go up around there if they're improving that area overall. And the last metric to look at is absorption rate. So how many new units are actually being absorbed? And this shows the demand for housing because if there's too many units being built and they're not being absorbed, then that's bad because it's going to force the market to soften because there's a surplus of housing. We don't want supply to outpace demand. We want demand to outpace supply. And that's why we're looking at these population growth and this job growth and all these income growth metrics because we want that demand to be going up and if supply is below demand, then we're going to be in a good spot. And that's just basic macroeconomics. But if you have a lot of units being built and not very many people absorbing them, then that means that there's, there's not enough um, demand and there's too much supply and that directly affects your rent. So you want to look at the absorption rate for sure. So as far as neighborhoods within the city, so how do we find a neighborhood uh, to, to invest in within the city? number one, we're going to look at the median household income. So the neighborhood's median household income should be between 40000 and 70000 a year. And this is for me on a B and C class strategy. So I buy B and C class multifamily. Essentially my ideal tenant is a blue collar worker who, you know, works hard all day, gets paid a consistent amount and then comes home and basically goes to bed. They're not necessarily looking for the amenities of like an A class building. They don't care about the, you know, the gym, they don't really care about all of the, like, the tennis courts or anything like that. They just want a nice place to live that's safe and that is consistent. And they are also consistent in their work ethic and that they are, you know, just good, hardworking American citizens. Like that's that's who we're trying to uh, lease to. That's what my strategy is. So number two is the median contract rent. So the neighborhood's median contract rent should be somewhere between 700 and 1000 because that, again, allows us to target that ideal tenant. So we want that 700 to... 1000 contract rent. So the unemployment rate is the third thing you should look at. The neighborhood's unemployment rate should be no more than 2% higher than the city's unemployment rate. So you don't want a sector of the city that's significantly higher than the overall city's unemployment rate, because that just shows you that, you know, whatever's happening in that area is an ideal. People are not employed at the level that, that you'd want them to be. And that's common sense. I mean, honestly, real estate is common sense. That's the fun thing about real estate. You don't have to be a genius. You just have to think in common sense terms. So number four is the poverty level. So under 20%, but under 15% if, um, if you really don't want to take some massive risks. So you want under 20% of the population to be at the poverty level um, in this neighborhood, ideally under 15%, because you just, again, it makes common sense. You don't want, if, they're, if like half the population in your neighborhood is under the poverty level, then they're potentially not going to be ideal renters. And they're not maybe going to hit your strategy of a B and C class. You might be closer to the D Um, D-class apartments, which is there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not our strategy. So number five is the appeal. Uh, You want it to have some sort of a unique draw, and this is a very subjective metric, but it's important in the sense that It needs to be, you know, there needs to be some walkability, it needs to be close to jobs, good schools, a place where people wanna live. Like why would people wanna live in this neighborhood and think like a human, right? What's the appeal to living in this particular area? So once you break into a market, you're going to have some questions for brokers because this is again, a good way to build rapport, show that you're serious, show that you're actually thinking about some complex things. So here are some market questions. Uh, I have eight here that I'm gonna give you guys. um, And just, you know, if you have a pen and paper near, write these down, they're, they're good. Um, ways to show that you know what you're talking about and they're good for broker communication. So number one would be, where do you see the market going right now? This is a good open-ended question. You can kind of get the flow going, maybe hit on some points that you already know and see where they think that those are and kind of start that conversation up. Number two would be, can you send me a CoStar report of the market? So a CoStar report is one of the more reputable reports for a market, and it's typically rather expensive to um, have a co-star membership, but a lot of brokers have them. So you can just ask for them to print you out a report of that or email you a report. And that's um, extremely valuable. So number three, where is the path of progress heading in the market? So I alluded to the path of progress earlier, and the path of progress is just the direction in which development is moving in the city. And You want to be obviously ahead of that development, because if you buy a house right now that's not perceived as valuable, or you buy a multifamily building that's not perceived as being in a valuable area, but you know that all this growth is coming into that area and people are going to redevelop it, well, if you're ahead of that path of progress, you can buy before people realize how valuable that area is. So you want to know where that area, where that path of progress is headed, And if you can ask a broker who's lived there or done deals in the market for years, well, they're going to have a really good idea of where that path of progress is heading. Number four is what are the areas of the city that have blown up or are hot right now? Whatever lingo you want to use, essentially you're trying to, Ask the question of where is a place that people are really trying to buy right now. Like, what's the best area? Because this is just going to give you an overall idea of the perception of the city, and, um, and it gives you a good place to start as far as neighborhoods to look at. Because you, if you're anywhere near that neighborhood, you're you're probably going to be in a good spot. It's just a good place to start from. Number five is what is the demographic of this submarket? So, what kind of tenants live here? And this gives you. a a good idea if this tenant can fit the profile you're looking for. So for me, if I ask this question and the guy says, oh yeah, it's really wealthy tech um, employees. They typically make like 150 to 200,000 a year. They're looking for sky rise apartments. Well, then I'm going to be like, okay, well, that's obviously not my strategy, right? I'm looking for, you know, the garden style B and C class, blue collar worker, um, workforce housing kind of demographic. And so I'm looking for that answer. So where are you seeing the most Where are you seeing most of the listings pop up? That's this is another good question is where are people selling quite a bit? This can give you a lot of good clues into the market and and what areas are recently becoming valuable and what areas are already valuable and where There's actually deals to be found number seven is what is the average rent in this sub market? So again, this comes back to our metrics which is we want to look for that seven hundred to one thousand Answer to this question and this again can give us a good Answer. If he says that okay, this is mostly Section Eight tenants, and they're paying five hundred they're paying five hundred dollars a month. Well, then maybe that's not the submarket for us. And also on the other end, maybe it's oh yeah, the average rent's around two thousand five hundred. Well, then obviously that's probably not our submarket, right? And then lastly, are there any areas that I should avoid at all costs? So this is again a great question to ask because you want to kind of get the dirt on th- on the city as well. You want to know the areas that people perceive as risky or crime ridden or not valuable because you don't want to be buying in a location that you can't change because we can change the property, but we cannot change the location. So if you buy a property and you have all these great plans for it and you do a great job of the property, but you buy it in a very crime ridden area and there's potentially break-ins and criminal activity, then you're just not gonna be able to really raise the rents, and it's not gonna be your fault, it's just because you bought in a bad area. And to end this, I'm gonna give you guys my top five markets, just in case you're just kinda starting, or you're looking for a market to, um, to move to, or you're trying to focus on one market. Well, here's my top five. Number one is Austin, Texas. Number two is Provo, Utah. Number three is Orlando, Florida. Number four would be Boise, Idaho. And number five would be Raleigh or anywhere in the research triangle of North Carolina. And these are for all the reasons that I listed above, the metrics that are very important to hit. And they're just a good starting point. So if you have no idea where to invest, well, these five are probably a great place to start and look at and just kind of see um, where their data is at. And maybe if you live near any of these markets, I'd highly suggest focusing on the one that you live closest to. I think that this is a great... um, top five to start with. So to summarize, we have number one, stick with your market. Number two, the metrics that we talked about, which is population growth, job growth, median household income, median house or condo value, building permits, government planning, and absorption rate. Um, And then we also talked about the market questions for brokers, and these are very important. And then lastly, we summed up with the top five markets. So I hope this episode has been helpful. And if you are focusing on markets right now and trying to pick one to decide on and move forward with, well, just remember he who chases two rabbits catches none. So keep that in mind and definitely try to stick with the market that you pick, even when it's tough, even when you're seeing no results, because I promise you're just right at the very cusp when it's the most, um, when you're the most negative about it, it's actually when you're the closest to that barrier. So just keep going and, uh, and don't quit. Give it at least three to five months. And then at that point, then you can change, but give it at least three to five months. Don't go under two months and then quit like I did. You will make, um, big mistakes doing that. So just stick with it. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Look forward to seeing you guys the next one.